Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Okay, it's episode 70 for the love of the game. Let's cook! All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Episode 70 for the love of the game. It's been a minute since the last episode. Took a little bit of a break, recharged the batteries a little bit, and we're back behind the mic, back in the studio. Feels good to be back. Before we get to tonight's show, I just wanted to say uh, a big thank you to all of you who reached out personally regarding uh, last episode, episode 69, the Kobe Bryant episode. I'm really proud of that episode. It may be my favorite one I've done yet. Uh, I think it is uh, some of my best work. It was raw. It was emotional. It was more emotional than I ever anticipated, and it showed in the episode. So to all those who liked it and identified with it and had similar feelings to me and and reached out personally, I appreciate uh, all the love and all the support as always. Anyway, uh, a lot has happened since then. A lot has happened in the world of sports. We have a new Super Bowl champion. Congrats to the Kansas City Chiefs. Mookie Betts was traded from the Red Sox. Baseball's weird proposed change to the playoff structure. The Astros butchering their quote-unquote apology for their cheating scandal. And then there was the NBA and all that happened in the NBA. Trade deadline came and went. There is a lot to talk about. I know that's a lot, a lot of stuff, so let's touch on some of it before we get into tonight's uh, main topic. I'm actually going to, for the most part, avoid uh, baseball for tonight because it really deserves its own show, and uh, I will be doing a baseball show within the next uh, week or so, totally dedicated to baseball, all the comings and goings and all the happenings in baseball, so let's kick it off. First, obviously, let's give a congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs, Super Bowl champions, a 31-20 win over the San Francisco 49ers. A solidly played game, not the most exciting game, but a solid game. Patrick Mahomes takes home the MVP, so for those who followed my best bet, the Chiefs' money line parlayed with Mahomes to win the MVP. Congrats, uh, you guys cashed in. A couple of quick thoughts on this game, because there are a lot of false narratives going on, and honestly, it comes from people who are either lazy don't understand nuance of sports, people who don't have a clue of what you're watching, or you're just straight an analytics nerd, uh, or a combination of all of those things. So allow me to go through uh, these narratives, these false narratives really quick. Now, I've listened to a lot of different media guys uh, talk about this after the games. I've done my research. There's a lot of good stuff out there. I'm a student of the game myself. So here we go. Okay, myth number one. The running game doesn't help you win in this NFL. So all year we've been hearing about it's a passing league. It's not efficient to run the ball. Well, that's just not true. The 49ers got to the Super Bowl by running the ball. They ran the ball for close to 300 yards against the Packers and only threw the ball eight times. The 49ers built a lead in the Super Bowl by running the ball. The Tennessee Titans got to the AFC Championship game by running the ball. And in the Super Bowl itself, 
almost every big fourth down conversion the Chiefs had, a majority of them came by running the football. So don't tell me that running the ball isn't efficient and that running backs don't matter. I mean, Derrick Henry almost got his team to the Super Bowl and put his team on his back and got to the AFC Championship game. And he was the leading rusher this year. So you can't tell me that you're not going to win with a star running back. So yes, you can win by running the ball if you have an imaginative coach and good play calling and you do it in the right way. Uh, in the right spots, you can win by running the ball. So that's narrative number one. That's a false narrative. False narrative number two, Kyle Shanahan blew the game with his play calling. Another lazy take. Yes, the 49ers are running the ball well, but a lot of their yards per carry were inflated based on reverse plays that happened uh, with Debo Samuel throughout the game. The Chiefs, for the most part, kept the San Francisco running backs in check. So let's set the scene uh, it's 2017 49ers. Most start runs for one yard. Second and nine, there's a screen pass. And this is all happening late in the fourth quarter. Uh, the screen pass gets tipped at the line. Third down, George Kittle is wide open past the f- first down marker. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't see him, doesn't throw him the ball. Incomplete pass, punt to the Chiefs, and then the Chiefs come down to score. So that's not on the play calling. Kyle Shanahan didn't blow this game on his play calling. If Jimmy Garoppolo hits Emmanuel Sanders on the deep ball when down 24-20 to really late in the fourth quarter, it's a touchdown. And odds are the 49ers wind up winning, and it's now Andy Reid who's getting shit on again for coming up small in the big game. Players ultimately decide the outcome of games, not coaches. Now, Kyle Shanahan's not blameless in the loss here. I mean, him being way too conservative at the end of the first half when they forced a punt and not using his timeouts to preserve the clock as much as possible to get points at the end of the first half was indefensible. Indefensible. Him kicking a field goal up 17-14 when he could have gone for it on fourth down and won the game in the fourth quarter was bad. But don't blame the play calling. Oh, and back to Patrick Mahomes for a second. He was crappy for... Three quarters of the game, 80% of the game. But what makes him great is that even when he looks like he's shitting the bed, and the great ones all have this quality, that even when they look like they're shitting the bed, he makes one or two huge plays to win the game. That throw to Watkins and the third down throw to Tyree Kill were absolutely money, money throws. And that's the difference. Mahomes made the plays. Garoppolo didn't. So congrats to the Chiefs. Well-deserved. And Mahomes could be on his way to being one of the three best QBs ever. I mean, think about it this way. In his first two years starting full-time, he's a two-time Pro Bowler, a first-team All-Pro, an MVP, and a Super Bowl MVP. I mean, an absolutely insane stretch. He's already the most talented quarterback to ever play the position. And good for Andy Reid for finally getting that Super Bowl win, getting the monkey off his back. Okay, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot going on in the world of baseball right now. And, uh, again, it deserves its own podcast and will get his own show. Hold on one second. I just got to set something up. Let's do that again. 
Okay, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot going on in the world of baseball right now. It deserves its own show, and it will get its own show. I will say this, though, as pitchers and catchers have reported, the season is getting closer, and the Houston Astros addressed the media today about their sign-stealing scandal, and let's just say... They didn't do a very good job at squashing this. It was a PR nightmare for them today. Here's a clip of owner Jim Crane on the sign stealing. Mr. Crane, what do you have to say to the Yankees and teams that you beat in 17? Listen, the the Yankees have had a few comments out there. Um, You know, our opinion is, uh, you know, that this didn't impact the game. Um, We had a good team. Um, We won the World Series, and we'll leave it at that. What? Wait, what? What did you say? Did you really just say that? That it didn't have any effect on the games? If it didn't have effect on any of the games, would you have to answer these questions? Would you have to have been punished by Major League Baseball? If it's meaningless, why is this still a big deal? Hmm. I I don't know. And then Jim Crane was asked a follow-up question about his ridiculous statement, and here's the audio from that clip. Jim, sign stealing is a distinct advantage for the hitter. So how is it that it doesn't affect competition? So then what are you guys apologizing for? Um, we're p- apologizing because we broke the rules. But isn't sign stealing a distinct advantage for the hitter? So doesn't it automatically impact competition? It, it, it could possibly do that. It could possibly not. Okay, guys, we're going to wrap up. Thank you. Okay, so which one is it, buddy? So you have admitted to broke the rules. And by the way, great follow-up question to his ridiculous BS that he spewed before. So which one is it? Does it affect competition or does it not affect competition? So you're saying that breaking the rules may or may not affect competition. I mean, yikes. This story isn't going away. And in the next episode will be an all-baseball episode. But man, this was bad by the Houston Astros. Like, what are you paying a PR team for if this is the result? Uh, I I mean, they look even worse now. I mean, just a a terrible, terrible look. All right, so on to the NBA. With the All-Star break coming this weekend in Chicago, it's a good time to catch up on what's going on in the NBA and recap the trade deadline now that we've had a week to digest of what's going on. A few quick hitting thoughts before I bring on tonight's guest, actually a first-time guest who I'm very excited to speak to. One, point guard Damian Lillard hurt his groin muscle and has been ruled out for the All-Star game in the three-point contest. He's being replaced by Devin Booker who is extremely deserving of being an all-star this year, even though I would have personally put John Morant there because John Morant's team is better than Devin Booker's team, but whatever. Uh, I can't really argue with Devin Booker being there. But before the injury, in his last 10 games, Damian Lillard has been averaging 34.7 points per game, 9.5 assists per game, 5.1 rebounds per game, on 49.6 shooting from the field, and get this, 47.2, and I repeat, 47.2% from three. And these aren't your standard threes, wide open looks, catch and shoot. These are off the dribble threes from 30 to 35 feet two. He's been absolutely insane, and hopefully this injury doesn't kill the Blazers shot at the eighth seed, uh, and he gets well soon. But shout out to Damian Lillard, because... 
Besides for a healthy Stephen Curry, there isn't a better point guard in the league, and I hope he's ready to play and be healthy the, after the All-Star break. Two, the Toronto Raptors, before last night's loss to the Nets, had won 15 straight games. They're now 40-15 and 15 and second in the Eastern Conference playoff uh, standings. They have lost one of the three best players in the game in the offseason, and it doesn't seem to matter. They have all these guys, all these interchangeable dudes who are tough and play hard and are constantly improving between Pascal Siakam, who's made a major leap and is an all-star this year, OG Ananobi, who looks like he could be on the same trajectory as Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet. I mean, these guys are getting good minutes from Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who's been a retread, uh, and he's giving them good minutes at the center position without Marcus Gasol. Serge Ibaka, and then there's Kyle Lowry, who's been awesome this year. And guess what? This season has put it to rest. Kyle Lowry is going to make the Hall of Fame one day. This title defense by the Raptors has been awesome. Everyone thought they were going to take a major step back without Kawhi Leonard and maybe even tear the whole thing down, but no. They've gone the other way, and they've been great. So kudos to the Raptors. Um, I'm excited to see how uh, the end of the season shakes out for them and if they're really uh, title contenders or not. But kudos to them for an exceedingly impressive season so far and for defending your crown the right way. Now for America's favorite segment, Asshole of the Day, NBA edition. Now today's episode has two submissions. The first, Andre Iguodala. Now let me preface this uh, by saying I really like Andre Iguodala. I like him as a player. He's a really smart guy. He's been an excellent team basketball player. And this honor that he has of Asshole of the Day isn't so much just about him, but it's a system of the NBA uh, and their rules as well. So here's the story. Andre Iguodala, for cap reasons, was traded to Memphis in the offseason. At the time, Memphis was considered to be a terrible team, and Iguodala didn't want to report to Memphis because he wanted to play for a contender. Memphis wanted Iggy to come to camp to mentor the young kids. He didn't want to do that. And he wanted a buyout so he can pick his destination. By the way, he's being paid not to play basketball at that time. Memphis didn't want to just buy him out, understandably so. They wanted to trade him, and ultimately they did strike a deal with the Miami Heat at the trade deadline. So Iguodala basically sat home, promoted his book and his investments, and was getting paid by Memphis. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, how is this possible? Imagine being employed, having an employment contract, not showing up, and still getting paid the full amount. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Iguodala should have had to play and shown up to camp to get paid by the Memphis Grizzlies. Like, honor a contract. He has a job. You have to report to your job to get paid. I know it's a crazy concept these days, but seriously, kudos to the Memphis Grizzlies for not buying him out and getting a nice piece in return for Justice Winslow in the trade. Iggy knew he had leverage with the way the NBA CBA works, but the NBA needs to change this. Players who are able to play, who aren't injured, should have to show up and play to get paid. And not everybody can just dictate at the end of their career what team they want to be on because they've been in the league for so long and been a you know a really good player for so many years. You don't just get to dictate how the end of your career goes. That's not the way this works. I mean, this is just nuts. He's an employee. Employees have to show up to work to get paid. 
All right, fine. So so that's uh, submission number one. Uh, asshole of the day, submission number two. And what do you know? It's the New York Knicks. So here's what's gone on with the Knicks lately. They fired Steve Mills. Very good. They traded Marcus Morris. They got a first-round pick for him. Very good. They hired Leon Rose, former mega agent at CAA, to be the president of basketball operations. Not a bad thing, since they probably couldn't get Masai Ujiri or Sam Presti. I don't mind them going for a guy who's well-respected with big-time players, assuming he's going to bring in basketball people for scouting and etc. Fine. All good so far. No issues. There was a rumor that World Wide West was coming with him. I don't think that's happening, and that would have been awesome because Wes is a power broker, That and even if he stays in the shadows, his relationship with Leon Rose is a good one, can ultimately help the Knicks uh, and steer free agents to the Knicks. Wonderful. And then the Knicks hire Steve Stout, a marketing guy who's big in the music scene. He was Puff Daddy's guy. Fine. You want to hire a marketing guy who's, who's good at that? Fine, but then he goes on first take and says this. We got to get athletes to believe that they can come here and actually be them best, be them best selves. I mean, that hasn't that hasn't transpired over recent times, and I understand some of the reasons why. We got to solve that issue. Um, I just think there's a, a culture of of winning and excitement that New York City has. Uh, New York City is the the hub of sports and entertainment. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. And it started moving around. My job is to bring it back. Toronto Raptors, they brought in Drake, right? They brought in Drake to bring that thing. The New York Knicks brought in Mick. And then he continued on uh, first take to say uh, this, and I quote, having a coach like that who has the magnitude and gravitas so that the media would love him to talk to him and believe him, I think that's super important. Okay, so now that I basically said that, to uh to summarize, he basically compared himself to Drake and fired head coach Mike Miller in the process. Now keep in mind, he's a fucking marketing guy, not a basketball guy. And he's not Drake. He doesn't have the gravitas of Drake. And Drake wouldn't go on record saying that he thinks the Knicks should bring in a new coach in the offseason. Oh, and the Knicks have actually played kind of hard for Coach Miller. He's probably an interim coach. Fine, I understand that. But for Steve fucking Stout to be talking about basketball operations is insane. So the Knicks then issue a statement saying that he misspoke and Steve Stout himself walked it back a bit. But the Knicks' perception, and rightfully so, is that they are a clown show, that they have no idea what's doing, and that they're a dumpster fire of a franchise. Stuff like this only strengthens that belief because they can't get it together. And even when they do things right, they can't do them 100% right. Steve Stout should have been fired for this. You know how to change perception of being a clown show? Don't be a damn clown show. And don't have the branding guy talking about who should be the coach going forward. I mean, sometimes this team is too dumb to function. And the worst part about it is I can't even blame Dolan for this occurrence because this wasn't James Dolan. I mean, just a garbage dump of a franchise. I, and and with that said, I mean, they the Knicks can be asshole of the day, NBA edition, every single day of the year. 
as I've said before, well, with that said, um, I had to just get that off my chest. And now we're going to bring on a first-time guest to recap the trade deadline and talk a little bit about all the things going on in the NBA in just a moment. Okay, so as I mentioned before, I'm bringing on a first-time guest, somebody who I enjoy our text message exchanges on basketball back and forth. Really excited to bring him on. I think he's going to have some great insight. None other than Mr. Sam Klein. Sam, how we doing, bro? I'm good. Thank you for having me. This is a true honor to be on the famous podcast for the love of the game. Episode 70, dude. You got a nice round number. You should be flattered. I'm very, very flattered. All right. So I know that you're a hoops head like me. We text all the time about stuff. So first thing I want to do is we've had a couple of days now, about a week, to digest the trade deadline and and what happened uh, at the trade deadline. So let's start off with um, your winners. To you, who won the trade deadline and why? I really like what the Clippers did. I love the Clippers getting Morris. I think that was a huge, huge addition for them. I love that the Grizzlies got rid of Andre Iguodala. I think that just brings their I just think that brings their team spirit to the next level because it looks like he was a cancer to that team. Um, those were my big two winners, honestly. So, um, I, oh yeah, go go, go ahead, ahead, continue. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. So uh, I want to ask you about the Clippers because Marcus Morris, I have my opinions. Why do you love the fit for the Clippers with uh, bringing in Marcus Morris? I think his attitude. He's a, he's a straight dog, and that's what the Clippers need. Either he's right now, I believe he's starting, but if they need him in the playoffs to come off the bench, he has the experience, and he's not going to be their number one scorer. He's not going to be bringing up the ball like a point guard. He's a role player, and that's what he's good for. So now let me ask you this, because <clears throat> uh, I don't think Marcus Morris is an exceedingly self-aware basketball player. Do you think after getting as many shots and as many touches um, with the Knicks, which, whatever, that was an issue, do you think he's going to be able to just fall back in line with the Clippers? Because, and Celtics fans will tell, will um, will talk about this from last year, that you know, Marcus Morris, as tough of a guy as he is, and, and he's, as you said, a gamer and he plays defense, he also has no conscience to take the biggest shot of the game when you're just like, please, not you. Like, he's, Yeah, so he's, when you got Paul George, when you got Paul George and Leonard on the team, the guy knows he's not going to be the first, second, or third option behind, um, what's his name? Who am I saying? Uh, Williams. He, he's He's... He knows he's not. He knows what he was brought in for. I'm sure Doc Rivers made that clear to him. We're bringing you to bring attitude, and that's it. Um, I think it's a great pickup for them. I also forgot to mention two other people, that, uh, two other teams that I love what they did. I love that the Warriors got Andrew Wiggins. I know you're not a supporter, but I also love that the Wolves got um, Russell. I think those two moves for those teams over the next five years potentially could be huge. Uh I'll get to the Golden State, um, Minnesota thing in a second, but yeah, just one thing, one last thing about Marcus Morris is, is, and we've seen it with the Knicks, and and you just when you play on a bad team, you get bad habits. I, Clipper fans, just just be ready for this. You're going to be in a big game, and Marcus Morris if, is going to hold the if ball. If you were Marcus Morris, what would you do if you were on the Knicks? 
I, what would I, you be doing? I under, I understand that. I understand it. I get it. And part of that was the coaching that they allowed him to do it. But just get ready that he's going to take like one of the biggest shots. Like he's one of those guys who's like, and I got this guy who shouldn't be. And I got this guy. I'm just not a huge Marcus Morris fan. Um, uh, a couple of my winners, uh, I've got Minnesota. I love what Minnesota did. And it wasn't just the D'Angelo Russell for Wiggins trade. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. But the fringe guys, Malik Beasley and uh, Hernan Gomez, Juancho yeah. Hernan Gomez. Yeah. Like two guys who are talented dudes. And they, they just were getting squeezed in Denver because Denver was in a situation where they just drafted too many good players. And Michael Porter Jr., Looks like he could potentially be a franchise-altering player. So they lost minutes to them. Yeah, if right. If he hurt. stays healthy, of course. Yeah. Uh, knock on wood. We, I, I hope he stays healthy. But yeah, that guy they, looks nice. Yeah, they just got squeezed. Those guys kind of got squeezed, and and it's good for the the Wolves to pick up fringe players who can play basketball. Like Malik Beasley can contribute to a good team. He's a good defender, and, and he's. A solid shooter, especially when he gets more minutes. So Minnesota not being a free agent destination, and uh, they're going to have cap space. So to get those guys in there now and see what they have and be able to potentially sign them early, I think is a good thing. Um, yeah, I I agree. I think it comes down to, though, could Carl Anthony Towns actually win? Well, so that, far, he's well, been a he, total loser. Well, you and I are aligned on this. That's a different story for a different topic, but I, I'm – Almost completely out on Carl Anthony Towns, but if you're still going to be in on Carl Anthony Towns and and there's reason to be, you know you have to start making these moves to start winning games, and those yeah, two guys bringing get bring in a winning attitude and can help you win games. Uh, D'Angelo and we'll get to the D'Angelo Russell uh, trade from Golden State in a second, but I think they got a guy who's only twenty four. Was a little undervalued yeah, I this year. Uh, I, I really him. wanted the Knicks to up the offer, and I just don't think that they gave up a whole lot for an all-star caliber player who's 24 years old at a position of need. That's a win in my mind. Um, yeah, but if you're the Knicks, what pieces do you have to give them? You have nothing. So, so that's the thing. Would you rather? Would you rather a package of? of more young guys and a future first round pick or what you got, because you got it. And, and we'll get to it in a second. You know, what? let's just do it now. Would you rather that? Or would you rather a guy who's been a failed experiment? Number one pick who's getting monster dollars. I like him. I, I like Andrew Wiggins. He's Why? also 24. He's 24. He's a super, super athlete. He can shoot, but he was put in a different, he was put in a position that he wasn't going to be able to succeed. He didn't have a good coach. He has, a, he has no win. He had no winners on that team. If you put him with Clay and Steph and Draymond, this guy's going to be a beast. I hope the Warriors actually keep him beyond next year. That's I, I look at his numbers since he's joined the Warriors. The guy's been a stud. I, I, it's two games. I don't put a lot of stock in three that. games, three, three games. games. I'm sorry. It's three games. I don't put a lot of stock into that just yet, but can I play devil's advocate for a second on Andrew Wiggins? Yeah, go ahead. So he was brought in as the number one pick and he was touted as like the maple Jordan, right? I mean, this guy yeah. was, 
extremely, you know, highly touted. He's a super talented guy, has a promising rookie season, and then after that shows no ability to want to play winning basketball. None, right? Minus the first 10 games of this season, he's shown no ability to want to play winning basketball. He has all the tools to be a good defensive player, and he doesn't want to be a good defensive player. And when you're the number one pick, and Carl Anthony Towns falls under this category as well, right? You're a culture changer. You're the players who are brought in to change the culture. They went to winning programs in college, Kansas and Kentucky. Like at a certain point when you're on your second contract, and and I'm not excusing the Minnesota Timberwolves for being a good organization because they're not, but they brought you in to be a good organization. They gave you the second big contract. It is now on you to change the culture. Yes, agreed. And you have but no... the guy is still t- he's 24 years old. Give him people to learn from. I think that plays a huge part that people never actually contrib- like realize. If you can put this guy around people that have done it before, watch him be a stud. The guy he I, I do think in the next three years he's an all star. No chance. I, I think no chance, no chance. He's in a good. He's in a good franchise now. Let's see how he finishes the year, and let's see if they bring him back. Okay, so Meaning if they don't trade him in the offseason, I hear that. So, before, besides for the fact that I just don't think he's a good basketball player and a winning basketball player, even if you wanted to say you can put him in a good spot, you know, where he doesn't have to be a, a superstar carrier franchise to then get that contract when you're paying Steph big money, Clay big money, Draymond big money, right? Do you really yeah. want to be paying him that kind of money? So when they made the trade and they were trying to back they they made the calculation to do the sign and trade with Brooklyn when they were going to lose Kevin Durant to get D'Angelo Russell to retain an asset. You're telling me that they couldn't wait until the offseason and try and get a better offer for D'Angelo Russell, that they had to take back a cap casualty for an all-star caliber player who's 24? I just think they should have waited and got and they could have gotten a better offer. I think the Knicks, had they wanted to throw in one of those picks from Dallas, could have trumped the offer. I I still disagree with you. I think the guy's what six seven, six foot eight. His vertical is ridiculous. The guy he's going to be a stud. He's twenty four years old. Same thing that you're saying about Russell. Both of them are extremely young with a lot of talent, and they have not. I mean, I think the guy's going to be a stud. Let's see what he does for the next few months. We'll see, but I'm not buying it. But and and you can't even tell for the next couple of months because. The team is bad, so they're going to give him every opportunity to get numbers. I mean, you're only going to really know what the experiment looks like when Steph and Clay are playing, and Draymond actually is really playing because he's not really playing right so now. He, he, here's the question. Do you think he's better than what Harrison Barnes was on the Warriors? No, because I don't think he's a self-aware basketball player where Harrison Barnes was at least self-aware. Oh, come on. This guy is twice the athlete Barnes is, in my opinion. The, yeah, and- sure. at Athletic ability, I'm not even questioning about that, but as, but knowing how to play matters. There are tons of guys who are great athletes who aren't. That's what I'm saying. He's 24. He's finally been, been put in, in a real organization, real teammates. This guy's going to thrive. He has every, every opportunity now to thrive. You could judge him over the next year. I, I don't think you could judge him on what he did with the T-Wolves and 
Carl Anthony Towns the biggest loser in basketball. I don't know. I would put him up there with the biggest losers in basketball too, but that's just me. So anyway, I'll come. anyway, anyway, well, well, because there are other winners here. I think Philly did well at the deadline. As screwed up as they are, we'll get to them in a second. Oh my God, fire Elton Brand right now. Why fire that guy? Why? Oh my God. Well, think about what he did over the past year. Well, hold Jim, on, hold on. Keep but, but, Jimmy Butler. We're, oh, hold on. We're going to get into all that in a second. But just at the deadline, I think he did well at the deadline to get Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson the third, two players that you know are of you know two solid wings that can shoot for nothing, and they had second round picks that they had to trade. Um, because of some some contract stuff, I think they did a good job there. I would say Houston won at the trade deadline um, as well, and I'll and we're gonna get to Houston in a bit. I think the Knicks slightly won. I mean, I would have loved to see the Knicks done more, but they had to trade Marcus Morris. I would say Miami did well at the deadline. They got Iguodala, um, and they yeah, got Miami. I like that. Yeah. And they got, uh, they got Crowder. Jay Crowder, Crowder too. I mean, there's still one secondary score, like somebody could really create their own shot away. But I think they they got again guys who have been battle tested. And as you mentioned, the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies turned Andre Iguodala, somebody who wasn't going to play for them, into Justice Winslow, who's an exciting piece. I know he's always hurt, but that's pretty good return. And they got, um. I mean, they had to take on Dion Waiters and James Johnson. That's part of the reason why Miami was such they, they a cut, They cut Waiters already. But they, they got rid of them already. So I think the yeah. Memphis Grizzlies getting Justice Winslow back for uh, Iguodala was really good. Uh, who are your I mean, Who are what, your losers of the trade deadline? I think the Sixers. I think the Sixers over the past year messed up what could have been the best team in the NBA by far. Okay, so hold, so hold on hold on to the Sixers thought cuz I also thought they were losers at the deadline for not trying to trade Al Horford. We're going to get into them. So hold that thought again. So who are your other losers? I, mean, I think the Knicks. I, I I yeah, they traded Morris, but they didn't they didn't trade anybody else. They should have tried to make a splash or started spreading rumors on people they wanted to target in free agent over the next year to two years. Well, they, I, well, I they did that with D'Angelo Russell. I mean, they tried to... Yeah, there were rumors out there could, to try and make a splash. I would have tried to even go further with Bradley, with Bradley Beal. They should have done yeah, whatever they could have done. But Beal, Beal wasn't eligible to be traded because he signed that weird three-year extension so he could only be traded in the summertime. So he was kind of off the board. Yeah, but they could have started... All I'm saying is start a couple of rumors behind the scenes that people are... Just get people talking. That's all it is. Start putting ideas in people's minds and then see what happens during the summer. I um, that. Okay, I, fine. I wish the Lakers made a move. Okay, so they were one of my losers too. I wouldn't call it a loser because they're really good. But sure, I wish sure they, but they, they're still one body short. They're still a secondary playmaker short. And yeah, the Lakers were right in a now tough they're banking spot. on. Yeah, they're banking on Bradley right now, and I just don't think he's the solution. They're banking on him and and Rondo doing the playoff Rondo thing. That's who yeah, they're really Ron- banking on, but I just he's don't old. see it. The problem with the Lakers was they didn't really have any moves to make because they traded all their assets in the Anthony Davis trade. You know, Kuzma yeah. only makes just north of $2 million, so if you wanted to get a player who can help you... um. 
you got to make the salaries work, right? And they didn't have first-round picks to trade, so they weren't getting Derrick Rose, right? They weren't getting Bogdan Bogdanovich from the Kings. They they yeah. were kind of they were kind of stuck, you know, with this weird hand, and they couldn't do anything. I mean, they were rumored to get Marcus Morris, but then they would have had to trade Danny Green and Kuzma, and at that point, it's not worth it. I mean, yeah, the Lakers yeah, I don't are like Morris on that team. Yeah, the Lakers are just a loser by the fact that they couldn't do anything and that they couldn't get Darren Collison to come out of retirement. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, I'm shocked he didn't come out of retirement. I thought he was for sure going to the Lakers. <laughs> they uh, they should have probably uh, sent him a Venmo request for when he was sitting courtside next to Jeannie Buss. Yeah. What the hell was that? Why, they're making this guy into a celebrity. What yeah. the hell? That that's a sunk cost. Um, so yeah, and my other loser was the Golden State Warriors because I just think they botched the D'Angelo Russell trade, and I don't buy no, Wiggins. I love that. I love that. Well, we're gonna dis- I think it- we're gonna agree to disagree on this one. So I know we were gonna talk about Houston, but let's let's start with Philly because I know we've you have some strong uh, opinions on Philly. Uh, just for a little context, you know they've been struggling a little bit, and Embiid has been hurt. They're on a, a four-game losing streak. They look kind of ugly, uh, and then they had a nice win against the Clippers this week. So yeah, um, Embiid looked awesome. Embiid and Simmons both looked awesome. Right. So let and me ask you this: Is the Al Horford signing is that going to be the end of Brett Brown as coach and the Simmons Embiid pairing? I mean, dude, Al Horford's terrible. I, I mean. He's a good seventh, eighth man. He's he can't move anymore. He could sometimes hit an outside shot. He can't rebound. He's terrible on defense. I think I just think this goes more into Elton Brand than Brown. I think they had an unbelievable team last year with Reddick and Butler, and they totally messed that up. Whatever happened behind the scenes, I blame that on Elton Brand. Well, they couldn't afford to keep all those guys, especially after they traded for Tobias Harris. Uh, they gave up a lot of assets, uh, probably more assets than they had to in the Tobias Harris trade. So they, they could have kept Butler, though. They could have kept Butler, and the reports said that they, you know, were ready to make Butler a max offer. It's conflicting reports, whatever. But Butler decided to leave. Right? I mean, they essentially chose. Harris over Butler because they just didn't make Jimmy Butler the priority. And that I think was a huge mistake because Jimmy Butler's awesome. And at the end of the games last year, he was the guy taking all the big shots and handling the rock down the stretch. I think there's so many mistakes that they made letting Butler go, keeping Harris, giving up a lot for Harris, letting Reddick walk once Butler was gone. They they got. They don't have a. Sh- I, I know you like what's his name, Robinson, Glenn Robinson. But come on, JJ Redick on a team with Embiid and Simmons just sitting there in the corner like he did last year. Yeah, but in fair, <laughs> in fairness, in fairness to the Sixers, a I don't think you know Redick was going to get a big offer and they couldn't afford him. That's number one. Two is Redick really got exposed defensively uh, in those playoffs last year. I mean, John. I, the, the Toronto Raptors and Kawhi Leonard were able to take advantage of him uh, in certain respects. And he's getting a little old in the tooth. So so that I can understand. That one was defensible. I mean, I, the, the, the two things that, I, and I guess three things because they, they kind of mold together, is the uh, not being able to keep Jimmy Butler 
getting Al Horford. And spending that money on Al Horford for like, you know, north of $25 million a year, where now you have a guy who the offense, it just looks bad when he and Simmons and Embiid are on the court together. How, how long's Horford's contract? He got a four-year deal. He got a big deal. Oh, my God. And you can't even trade a guy like that. So, I mean, there were – you. I mean, one of the trades actually, and we forgot to talk about this, that you want that I wanted to see happen at the deadline was somehow for Al Horford, who, in fairness to him, when Embiid was out, played really well with Ben Simmons. He's a little bit more stretchy. He's not going to post up as much. Uh, but I want to see some type of trade that involved Al Horford for Danilo Gallinari on Oklahoma City with uh, yeah. Steven Adams going somewhere because I really think that could have helped Oklahoma City, uh, in a sense, shed Adams' contract. And then, you know, Al Horford's an upgrade over Steven Adams. I truly believe that yeah. still. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but that wasn't – that really wasn't happening. But, yeah, I mean, the decision to sign Al Horford was solely based on the fact that they needed big bodies to play against Milwaukee. But – Milwaukee has handled the Sixers minus for that Christmas Day game. They've handled them just fine with Al Horford, and he's a step slow, and they're paying him $25 million, and he got benched for Korkmaz. And that's a lot of money to be tied up in a guy who's going to play 20 minutes a game. This keep this goes back to Elton Brand. I think he, he's done some good things last year, when he, but he's ruined it. I don't know. He had no patience for some reason. So and, so that's the other thing. Where was the patience when you had the runway with Simmons and Embiid? I, I, I still like them. I, now, do you, like, hell, the, do you both, like them as a pairing still? Because there's a lot of scuttlebutt about that they're going to have to move one. What do you think? Do they have? Can they win assuming that there's a new coach in place? And by the way, they're not going to trade one of them until they bring in a new coach to try and try it out. But... Ultimately, do you think those two guys with Simmons' reluctance to shoot, do you think those two guys can play together successfully going forward? It's a tough question because Ben Simmons is still very young. Supposedly, he's worked on his shot this offseason, but he doesn't shoot. And Embiid, I'm sure you've listened to Shaq and Charles Barkley. Of course. Sometimes Sometimes he just doesn't play. So if you're getting a committed Joel Embiid and a Ben Simmons that actually starts shooting 18-footers, I think they're going to be unbelievable. If you're telling me that Ben Simmons won't change his game, then obviously it can't work. But he hasn't changed his game. Like, like I, I made the Right. But I made the argument with Andrew Wiggins. Like Sometimes a leopard, you can't change his spots, right? If Simmons, and, and Embiid is guilty of this too, if Simmons won't shoot jump shots refuses to shoot jump shots like Brett Brown earlier this year asked him to shoot three threes a game yeah and he just won't shoot he like won't shoot them so I mean I I just and the tricky thing is is like when Joel Embiid is healthy and engaged and in somewhat shape he's a top six NBA player he's a top six NBA guy but can you depend on him the way that you need to to carry a franchise and you said top what what did you say top what top six 
come on. You can't give him top six. The guy plays at once every five games. Right. Okay. But I'm saying when he's in shape and healthy and engaged, he's a top six NBA player. Yeah. And so that the issue is that's rare. I, so I don't know. I don't know what you do if you're Philly, but uh, I do know. So what this. do you think the trade? What do you think the trade market would be for Ben Simmons? Well, if you're Philadelphia, you have to get back a big haul because Ben Simmons is an All Star. He's an All NBA caliber player. As flawed as he is, you know he's uh one of the best defensive players in the league. You're gonna have to get somebody uh like that who's uh, around the same age, maybe not as good. And and other assets, you, you're gonna, that's what you're going to be asking for. I don't know. I don't know what trade is out there, honestly. Yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one, right there. Yeah, the the, and the same thing goes with Embiid. It's a trick. Like, what's the market for Embiid? Obviously, there's a big market for both of them. But I like what team? Like, I, it's I don't know what team would actually go after them. Well, I'll t- I'll tell you this. I mean, the the Sixers were a popular pick to go to the Eastern Conference Finals this year, and and even make the finals. I don't think that's going to happen. But like would it shock you if they made this bit of a run with Horford going to the bench? Like would it shock you? No, not at all. No, which is which is crazy. So with that, I I want to transition to Houston because we just talked about one of the dominant centers in the league. Now Houston yeah. went the other way. They traded their really only proven center in Clint Capella. Um I actually thought it was a good move because unless you're spending big money on a center like Embiid, Jokic, Gobert, and even Gobert gets exposed in the playoffs a little bit because he doesn't he's not the offensive force that the other guys are. So I actually like the trade for uh to trade Capella because I don't think paying a center like Capella fifteen to seventeen million dollars or something, whatever it was, is worth it. I just don't think it's worth it. Now having yeah, said that, they've gone all in on this small ball thing. So what are your thoughts? Do you think this this gimmicky type offense could actually work? For the regular season and the first round of the playoffs, yeah, they're probably going to, especially with the way Russell Westbrook's playing, I think they're going to do very well the rest of the regular season. I think when they get into the second round and pass, if they do make it past that, I just don't see how that could exist. So I I agree with you. I think on a night-to-night basis they can beat anybody. Because you have two of the, you know, best guards in the league and as much as I hate on Harden, he still, you know, can can get numbers and I've always been a Russell Westbrook guy and he's been absolutely ridiculous. You yeah, know, he's been a stud. Of late. I mean just crazy good, not shooting threes. I mean, he's going to the basket at will, but I don't think a team that plays like the Rucker League with two guys shooting a combined 70 shots a game and other guys just standing around, I don't think that's going to win a playoff series. Yeah, I agree. It's unbelievable if you actually watch them play. They have one guy dribbling at the top of the key, four guys all at the three-point line just watching. It's terrible and ugly basketball. So you're with me that you can't stand watching them, right? It's, you just can't, it's not real basketball. Every time Harding goes to the layup, he throws up his arms. It's a joke. Well, you know me. I've I've sort of made a brand of being the uh, I'm being anti James Harden. So we're in agreement here. But you got to give them credit. I mean, they're willing to try something, right? And they're willing to go all in and try something. 
And whether they, whether Daryl Morey goes down with the ship, I mean, we had the whole thing with the China incident. So he's been on thin ice. I mean, he's constantly tinkering. If he's going to go down with the ship, I mean, I, I respect that. D'Antoni as well. But I just don't see this team making it, honestly, out of the first round. I mean, also, could you ever see D'Antoni winning a finals? No, because he doesn't care about defense. And, the, and playoff basketball he, is different from regular season basketball. He has never changed his coaching style in however many years he's been coaching. It's been the same exact style. But there's, I mean, they do have a couple. They do have good pieces. But what's the thing has been surprising? He's making, he's making a comeback. Ben McLemore, he's, he's playing well. I think he's averaging like 10, 11 points a night. That's, that's another guy that you were probably down on when he was on the Kings, but he got to a decent team and now he's playing well. Yeah, but the difference between Ben McLemore and Andrew Wiggins is Ben McLemore was picked seventh in the draft and wasn't seen as a generational franchise changing player. He still was. There were people who thought he was going to be really, really good. Yeah, but that that was a weird draft in general. I mean, to go back, I mean, look at like Anthony Bennett was the number one pick. Giannis yeah, went fifteenth. Wow. Uh Rudy Gobert was Think in that draft. CJ McCollum went tenth. I mean, Victor Oladipo went second and then was traded by the Magic in a series of terrible trades that they've made. That was just a weird draft. Um, Speaking of uh, Giannis, um, well, not really about Giannis. So the Toronto Raptors are coming off a 15-game win streak. I know they just lost the Nets. How impressed are you by Toronto, given that they lost Leonard in the offseason? They could have easily taken a major step back, but they basically are on the same pace in terms of wins as they were last year. It's uh, it's unbelievable. I gotta say, I'm a bit confused by it. I just didn't see this coming. I thought they were gonna be a seventh, eighth seed, and their coaching is unbelievable. Top down, down up, they are unbelievable. And exactly what Lowry said, they are dogs and they know how to win. The instant, the institution, you know what once. Once you've built winning habits, and it, and it didn't just start from last year. Obviously, Nick Nurse taking over, which they they had the balls to fire Dwayne Casey after he won the Coach of the Year to bring in Nick Nurse. Unbelievable! Obviously, unbelievable. You know that's a move that most teams wouldn't make. Masai Ujiri makes it. It was the right move because Nick Nurse is one of the Didn't three you, best coaches in the league. To trade Demar Derozan for Kawhi Leonard for one year to win a ship. Uh, another balls Every, on the table type move. Everything they did was unbelievable. Yeah. Can't, can't say enough about Masai Ujiri um, and his willingness to take risks. Um, but yeah. And and now they have that that foundation and the institution of winning. And they could – and even last year. I mean they were good without Leonard in games last year. So and Siakam's yeah. taking a leap. OG Ananobi looks like he's going to take a Siakam-type leap. Fred Van Vliet was undrafted. They find guys. They found that guy out of Ole Miss, uh, you know, the reserve guard who comes off the bench. I'm forgetting what his name is. Oh, Davis. Terrence Davis. He's a monster. I mean. They're it, all monsters. Think about when what's-his-name was injured. When Siakam was injured, they still they didn't lose. These guys just don't lose. lose. I mean, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is playing center for them. He's been a retread, yeah. and he's playing well. Yeah. <laughs> And how about Ibaka? Ibaka, Ibaka's, Ibaka's playing, playing well. Playing really well. It's, it's good that Ibaka's well. in a contract year. And Kyle Lowry. 
I mean, we all thought of Kyle Lowry as a really good player, a nice player who would always choke in the playoffs and come up small. But Kyle Lowry has now made like seven All-Star games. And last year, he was the second best player in a, in a deciding game of an NBA Finals. He's a champion. And he's been unbelievable this year. Kyle Lowry's going to make the Hall, of, the Hall of Fame. No, stop it. He's going to. Stop it. Stop it. You'll you'll see. He's going to. No, come on. I, the guy's career is 14 and 6. There is zero chance this guy's making the Hall of Fame. I I disagree with you, man. I I I think he he's a guy who the analytics community has been very friendly to. His teams have always yes. been better with him on the floor. I I agree with you 100%, but he's 14 and 6. You're not making the Hall of Fame. I do think every single team in the NBA would want this guy because he knows how to make his players better. Everybody that's played with this guy say they absolutely love him, but he's not a Hall of Fame player. Come on. I think he. I think he's going to make it in the end. But the biggest question is, you know, given this major stretch, do you think they could actually catch Milwaukee and even stand up to Milwaukee at the end of the day in a playoff series? It's a tough question. I say no because they still don't have that Mamba on their team. Agreed. And I, I don't know how you stop Giannis. The guy is the free, he's a freak, and he exactly what he said. He just had a baby. He says he's going to be able to shoot better after having a baby. So if he's able to shoot, it's over. Well, and his, and his jumper improved already. His willingness to take the three. I mean, I've spoken about Giannis on this podcast a, a lot. I think he's the best player in the league. I don't think it's particularly close. He's he's it's just not close. He's just a delight. But and I'm with you. I don't. Well, they think, also, by the way, yeah. they also win without him. Yeah, they win without Giannis. Yeah, and I, if you put Giannis there, oof, they have a ten point point. They have a plus ten point differential when Giannis doesn't play. Which is crazy. I mean, that's just crazy. It's crazy. Um, but no, so I don't think Toronto can catch them. Uh, ultimately, I do think Miami is going to end up being the number two team in the East. Um, I think Toronto is going to fall back a little bit. But I, they have I, to. They have to. Yeah, I, but I can't be, and I said it in my monologue a little bit, I can't stress enough just how impressed I am by by the Raptors and this title defense and not stripping the whole thing down. And everybody says either, you know, you're a real title contender or you should be tanking. Like there's some pride in being good and being really good and being competitive and being in the mix. And Toronto this year shows that. So kudos to them. Uh, Before I let you go, uh, we got to talk about Zion Williamson for a little bit. How awesome is Zion? I I still can't believe it. I mean, I'm just, Every time he goes up for a dunk or a rebound, I think he's coming down injured. I just I, the guy's unbelievable. He uh, just like Carmelo Anthony said a couple nights ago, he's been in the NBA for however long he has been, and he's never seen a talent like this. Nine games, Size, strength. Yes, he's unbelievable. Unbelievable, and and he doesn't even know what he's doing yet. He doesn't yes. even know what he's doing. He's just going on pure adrenaline and you know pure hustle right now. And he's shooting like 57 percent from the field. I mean, he just came off a 31 point game. Uh, the guy's ridiculous. I, I mean, a couple of days ago, it was about a week ago actually. He played against the Milwaukee Bucks, right? And he and Giannis 
were matched up and they were going against each other. And it was the most fun I had watching a regular season game. And Zion didn't have a good game. He shot the ball poorly. You know, Giannis got the better of him. But it was like the pupil looking up to the sensei almost, right? Yeah. And it was just awesome. It was just so awesome. And also, by the way, his legs weren't even under him then. And they're not under him yet. He's not in shape yet. When he rounds into shape, I mean, he's like prime Barkley with like prime Larry Johnson with Draymond Green's passing and defensive ability. I mean, crazy. I think he's already one of the 20 best players in the league. Yeah, come on. He's only played nine, ten games. Give him some time to say that. The Uh, guy has unbelievable unbelievable ability, but he walks like a freak. And they're nervous that he's going to be healthy for his career. Let's see if he lasts the full season. Okay, so so here's the thing with the injuries, right? He had the freak injury in Duke when his, you know, shoe exploded. A freak injury. Just a freak injury, right? How often does, does a shoe explode? Then he had this, you know, this knee injury. That was his first, like, really major knee injury. That it was a meniscus and they were being cautious. Like, and Nick Wright said this on Fox Sports, and I don't agree with Nick Wright about most things when it comes to the NBA. Um, But he was like, why is this guy automatically an injury risk, right? I mean, yeah, he had two, he had one normal injury that can be dealt with exceedingly well, and he had one freakish injury in college. Like, why is he an injury risk? I mean, he has to get hurt because... it can't be just because of his body type because he moves better than anybody in history with his body type. If you watch him run down the court, there's no way you say he ru- he runs better than 99% of the NBA players. The guy runs like a freak. He jumps out of the building, but he still runs like a freak. The guy need a, he needs to figure something out. So I every act- single pl- I actually think he runs f- more fluidly than he walks, which is weird, but Whatever. Now, do you think he can – I know he got a late start to the year, but because he's been so great, do you think he can catch Ja Morant for the Rookie of the Year race? Come on. Ja's my favorite player in the NBA. I think – I like ja, ja number one coming out. The guy's unbelievable. He's bringing a Grizzlies team to the seventh or eighth seat of the playoffs this year as a rookie. The guy is – I, I listen. This is not taking anything away from Zion. I just think that Ja is unbelievable. He's an unbelievable passer, unbelievable scorer. He plays defense, and I think the NBA is in really good hands for the next fifteen years now. I mean, I agree. I love Ja Morant too. I actually would have, if I was making the selection to replace Lillard in the All Star game, I actually would have put Ja Morant there because his team wins and uh, Devin Booker you know, hasn't proven to be able to win over 35 games, but yeah, whatever. That's just it. Anyway, Sam, we're running out of time a little bit. Um, it was, uh, it was great to have you on for the first time. How do you think you did? Hopefully. Am I off or on there? No, you're still, you're still on the air. You're getting a little bit of an exit interview. How do you think it was? How, <laughs> how'd you enjoy yourself? Spending time with Tobin, the famous Tobin. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully I could join you more. Absolutely. We'll have to bring you on maybe around playoff time. Yeah, it's always good talking ball with you. All right. Well, uh, that's it uh, for tonight's interview. Uh, Sam Klein, uh, thanks for giving me the time. I'll speak to you soon, buddy.
Bye. Have a good night. Bye. Thanks again to uh, first-time guest Sam Klein for giving me a lot of his time tonight uh, to talk a lot about the NBA. Uh, Really good to catch up with him, put it on wax, as Jalen Rose would say. One quick thing before we end tonight's episode. One bit of news happened uh, since the last time uh, I was on the air. Not necessarily in professional sports, but in sports media. So Barstool Sports, a website that I've been reading since 2010. I'm a big fan of their work. They uh, sold to Penn Gaming, uh, the uh, the gaming company, for $450 million, a huge merger. And I just wanted to bring it up because, you know, Barstool has had a lot of detractors talk about how it's, um, you know, not PC and and not appropriate and they, and they cross the line. But with the way media is today, and and the uh, as they call them the PC Bromanis and and the, the the snowflakes who are constantly offended by everything. It, it's nice to see that authenticity and humor will rise above. And uh, I mean, Barstool's created a ridiculous brand. I mean, it's the most genuine case of of genuine brand building that there is i I can't speak enough about how impressed i am uh by uh by them by erica nardini by dave portnoy by all the guys there and yeah I, i it's it's just crazy to think that this small little website that was like a regional website in 2010 has grown into one of the biggest players in uh in media today uh just wanted to get that off my chest it's like i'm a proud stoolie uh and it's important to know that authenticity uh and good humor will always rise above even above all those people who like to complain about things that are constantly offended so uh Kudos to Barstool, and yes, I would love to join your podcast network. With that said, that's episode 70 for the love of the game. Take us out, ho. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.